Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome again to this next episode of the Red Jacket uh, Roundtable with City of Columbus. My name is Adaro Robinson, and I proudly serve as the Executive Director here with City of Columbus. And I'd like to thank you for tuning into this episode of the Red Jacket Roundtable. So each episode that we feature will uh, connect with local community members, spotlighting community and civic issues with a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I'm really excited about today's discussion because we have leaders from the Bhutanese Community of Central Ohio, or BCCO. And the mission of BCCO is the Bhutanese community residing in Central Ohio with cultural appropriate social services and to empower them through education and advocacy. So that is a snapshot of the work that you do. And I want to welcome our guests today, our leaders in the Bhutanese community, uh, Sudarshan, uh, Piakarel, who is the executive director with BCCO, and Laxmi Dahal, who is the outreach coordinator with BCCO. Welcome to the Red Jacket Roundtable. I'm really excited about this conversation. I think we're going to learn some really cool stuff about the work that you do. Uh, I know we had a previous uh, conversation where we were preparing for this um, discussion, and I learned a lot about your work that I just had no idea. So I'm really excited that our listeners are gonna get a chance to learn a lot about the work that you do. But before we get started, maybe you could both uh, share a little bit about yourselves uh, and how you came to be involved with this organization. First of all, uh, thank you for inviting us, Mr. Robinson. It's such an honor to join this conversation and um, be able to share the things that we do through BCCO. Um, we are a small nonprofit 501c3 organization that primarily serves uh, Bhutanese and other South Asian um, refugees and immigrants. And our story also relates to Bhutanese and South Asian. So um, both of us came from Bhutan, which is a small country in South Asia, but also our heritage, language, culture, and religion um, comes from this collective uh, identity of being South Asian. And uh, the, we have the other side of our story, which is uh, there was ethnic cleansing in Bhutan in the 90s. Um, I was very young at the time. Lakshmi, I think, wasn't born even then. And we had to flee Bhutan when I was 10 or 11, uh, when we flee Bhutan. And so we spent almost 17 years, 18 years, 16 years, depending on who you ask, in a refugee camp, UN refugee camp. And uh, um, sort of a the light at the end of the tunnel was we got a chance to resettle into the United States starting 2008. And some families begin to resettle into Columbus, Ohio uh, and other part of the United States. And since then, um, it, almost 90,000 plus have been resettled into the United States and over 30,000 estimated um, reside here in central Ohio through, you know, secondary tertiary migration. And, but the, but the story of BCCO goes back to 2009 when the community leaders realized that our folks who are just coming in here, they need to be connected with resources and other places, employment, health, school. So they started a civic association just to support and welcome new families. And that 
uh, a few years down the road in 2012, you know, they decided to provide some services because there was a gap in the services. So we applied for a 501c3 and 2014, we got our first federal funding. And since then we have been actively working as a post resettlement agency. Initially, we started serving Bhutanese families only um, due to our capacity and language and other issues. Um, now we have been serving other than Bhutanese, as I said, South Asian, Pakistani refugees uh, primarily. And then we do serve in small capacity, you know, um, East Africans and, and Latinos and Middle East as well. And that's where we are involved with as um, running the organization, part of the organization, part of the community. So we are, <laughs> we have many sort of, um, you know, responsibility as a community members. Uh, Sarsan said most of the thing, but I just want to say, uh, so, first of all, I want to introduce myself. My name is Lakshmi Dahal, and I am an outreach coordinator for Buddhist Community of Central Ohio. And like Sudarshan, they said, you know, we are, uh, there was an ethnic cleansing and then we lived in a refugee camp. For me, uh, I was born in a refugee camp, so I don't know, I, I don't have much idea what really happened in Bhutan. But our parents, you know, my parents, they tell me the story all the time, like what really happened there. There was a war, you know, our people had to leave and, and all the sad story. Um, but for me, what I remember the most part about camp is like, you know, splashing in mud, like being with my friends. So there was like some fun parts that I, that I remember, even though the life was very hard. But when I think about those times, still like, you know, I, I feel like we had some good time too. Um, so in, in a refugee camp, you know, by, by scrambling the, uh, the books provided by the UNHCR uh, and the Caritas Nepal, uh, I was able to go, you know, I, I studied there until 10th grade. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I came to United States. Uh, I lived in Tucson, Arizona for a while. I went to University of Arizona uh, and then decided to finally move to Ohio because we had a very small community back in Tucson. And as you know, for the Bhutanese, my, for my parents, it was very difficult. And we, we, as a, we always try to live as a community. So since Ohio had a bigger community, we, we decided to move here. Um, and after that, you know, I started working for the ETS as one of the nonprofit organization. And I worked there as an M coach, uh, helping, you know, youths uh, uh, 16 to 18 years old with career and educational goals. And then later on, you know, as I worked for the almost two to three years, uh, I found this opportunity in BCCO uh, that they have a Catalyst program, which also serves uh, youths. So having a passion for all this to help people. Uh, youths, I decided to join. And plus, it's it's also my community. I, I live in this community. I belong in this community. I, I know their story, and their story also relates very much with me. So I decided to work with the uh, BCCO and then um, you know help help our uh, families and also our our youth. Yeah, thanks for sharing that background of how you both got involved with BCCO. I'm curious to learn a little more about because we're a youth serving organization as well. We work primarily in schools with young people and helping with academic interventions and social emotional development. What types of activities and programs do you have with BCCO that involve the young people in your community? So early on, um, even going back to 2014, when the organization was really brand new, um, 
our primary focus was youth, women, and elderly. So that has been our motto because we had seen that kids who were in a refugee camp all of a sudden came to the United States. They were having a harder time to really navigate into the school and integrate into the school and be able to catch up with the course, uh, which was different from the you know educational system that they were used to back in camp. And so in many ways, these kids need help. These young adults who are growing up in, in the United States need help. And so back in those days, we were highly involved with youth a lot. And uh, we have, if you visit our office, you'd see many trophies. So we were engaged in organizing soccer, uh, cricket, which is one of our famous game in South Asia, and volleyballs and other sports. And we sponsor, engage them. We had um, uh, after school program at BCCU. And then on the weekends, we used to have Nepali class, karate class, dance class. So the community center was, you know, literally open um, seven days a week. And out of which majority of that was focused towards youth. And uh, we organized many like, you know, annual uh, soccer tournament, interstate soccer championship, interstate cricket championship. Um, uh, even we do this throughout this pandemic. So the idea is to engage, involve with the youth and bring them to, you know, provide them an avenue to explore their energy and, and, and not, you know, uh, and engage. And in, in other sense, the involving parents is also goal towards, and, uh, Lakshmi can talk about our current project. We have, you know, the Catalyst Grant, which is pretty much dedicated to serving the youths in the community. Lakshmi, do you wanna add? Sure, definitely. So we have a wonderful program uh, called Catalyst Program. Uh, primarily with the Catalyst Program, we serve uh, middle school to high school students. Um, our, goal from, uh, our goal is to help there with their, mostly with their educational goals and also with their career goals, uh, but also from the lens of mental health. So we uh, sometimes, you know, we get uh, referral from schools too. Uh, we also get referrals directly through our website. If parents need a help, they, you know, if, they, if, if we have a parent who are educated, they fill out the form and then also we, we get that too. Uh, but primarily when, uh, when parents, they come for other help or, you know, to our center, that's when we get uh, most of the, uh, you know, so when that's when we know if, if if the family needs help with the if their children needs help with the school school system or not. So we we ask them. Sometimes they also tell us, you know, on on their own uh, how it's going, and then from there we serve serve them. So I have seen like you know you know you know many they have many kind of uh, problems, many kind of issues. Uh, but some of the primary uh, issues, the language barriers, is one of them. Um, you know, like parents not knowing how to speak English, that's the main issue because uh, that, uh, from, because of that, like they don't know the school system, and then uh, not knowing school system creates other other issues like you know not knowing how their children are doing, and uh, that's when we come. That's where we come. Uh, we try to educate them about the school system, uh, parent portal and things like that. And we also uh, try to connect, you know, uh, if, if needed, we also directly reach out to social worker in school and also bilingual liaisons, um, uh, ambassadors, and and whoever we, we, we need to, to help, helps out their issues. Um, and 
we do, not only not only that we also serve them you know let's say if a family come to came to me and they need help with food stamp or our our, our transportation or like you know they need to be in the court or and we we deal with anything pretty much we help them we provide them comprehensive case management um and we also focus mainly on the mental health too because mental health is a main issue so from from that lens too uh, we we uh, try to do do the assessment and try to find out like you know if parents uh, or the student need help uh, and we provide appropriate uh, community-based counseling i wanted to follow up really quick what you you both talked about and you mentioned it a couple of times mental health is a challenge uh, or it's an issue now, is that an issue because they're coming from, many of them are coming from a refugee camp or coming uh, through, you know, challenging situations before they come to the U.S., or it's the, the challenges of, you know, getting, uh, understanding, you know, the school system, transportation, housing, all the pieces that you need to get in order to, uh, uh, you know, fully transition into Central Ohio. Where does that mental health piece uh, really start to show where you can be uh, impactful in that space. Yeah, that that's a that's a great question, Adriel. Um, so the mental health piece goes back to not only refugee camp, but it goes back to Bhutan itself. And uh, um, we have to unpack uh, a great deal still today about the origin of mental illness in Bhutanese community and in every community. But let's uh, focus on the Bhutanese community. And while some of the things that we have unpacked, it is a cumulative um, trauma. So, and then some of it is the trauma that is passed down from parents to children. In Bhutan, for a long, long time, you know, before the ethnic cleansing happened, we were treated like second-class citizens for a long time. And in that silent killing mechanism that Bhutan developed, uh, our parents were already going through tremendous amount of pressure to be able to live in that country with a fear because it's a, it's a ruled by a king. It was a complete monarchy. So you could not, you could not exercise your rights. You could not speak, you know, in not even in your favor if it is not in their favor. And so it was a very, very controlled environment. And they were living in that environment, not knowing the outside world because Bhutan was very, very isolated for a long time. And in that isolation, people were living in that, you know, that incubated environment where you don't know anything outside world. People were not allowed to have even televisions. People had a radio, but had to have a license to have a radio. So the outside information was completely controlled. So we were in a mini North Korea for a long time. And, and so people had already accumulated huge amount of trauma. And when we were kicked out, the trauma just exasperated at the time. And in the refugee camp, we have to wait for 17, 18 years, desperately, hopelessly. And think about the kids growing up in a refugee camp with no hope for future, no tomorrow. Just live today. If you can just be happy with few things around you, that's the only hopeful thing that you could possibly be. And then we were resettled into the United States, which is a great thing. We are very thankful from the bottom of our heart. But the resettlement process itself is quite rough. It's just a 90 day period that you have to catch up with a new life here in the United States. And then you are on your own. And given our community, which now had been growing, you know, doing pretty well comparatively, 
but the beginning days, people were lost. They, most of them couldn't really speak English. And kids have to take a responsibility because they were the one who were speaking English. So they have to deal with the police. They had to deal with the doctors. They had to deal with the um, benefits and they had to deal with the employers because the kids were speaking English on behalf of their parents. So when you have to act like a guardian when you're 11, 12 or 13, and then you come from a refugee camp, you can imagine the amount of pressure in their mind. So it could anyone, you know, anyone who is, let's say in a, in a very, you know, uh, more uh, science language that, you know, someone who was predisposed to mental illness, that environment is enough to trigger the mental illness. And that's what, where the mental health, uh, the piece uh, comes from is a cumulative trauma. Our parents had to endure a lot of suffering. People were put into jail in Bhutan without due process. People were kicked out. Their houses were burned down. People run out of a burning house into the refugee camp and refugee camps, as Lakshmi said, nobody wanted to be in a refugee camp. And um, there were fires sometimes which burned down completely the whole refugee camp. People lost single piece in everything that they possessed. Sometimes there were flooding. And then these kids grew up in that hostile environment where we didn't have identity. We always were very shy to say that we are refugees because refugees were looked down. Refugees were uh, humiliated. Refugee was a, a dirty word. And so we try our best not to say that we are refugees, but we were refugees. So that's a tremendous amount of pressure. And, and when you came to United States, when we were referred as refugees, we were, you know, although it was a welcoming word, but we didn't understand. In Cleveland, I actually protested. If there is any other word you can say beside refugee, because I'm tired of hearing this word refugee. I didn't know the word refugee could mean positive in the United States, could mean, you know, we wanted to help you. So, and then the, the, the children who were, we came to the United States had the same mindset that came from the same environment. So they meet with a lot of resistance. And then in the school, they were bullied, of course. And uh, um, they didn't have a place to go. Back in 2016, 2015, when we were doing these soccer tournaments to engage these kids, they wanted an outlet just to be able to express their energy, just to be able to express who they are. And, and, and we struggle to even find one space to hold a soccer tournament. Even we do today. You can't believe we have 30,000 in central Ohio. We have been requesting for a space to host, you know, regular soccer tournament and regular cricket tournament. Other cities with a smaller population already allowed for special, you know, culturally appropriate, you know, sports spaces, but Columbus hasn't. And so in that regard, it's still the, ongoing struggle to work with our youth population is tremendous. And, 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 you know, it's just, I'm unpacking a very small portion of the bigger story that's unfolding. But at the same time, Adriel, the thing that, you know, we are very humble. We have to stay humble as a first generation refugees. You cannot ask a lot because, you know, sometimes people would remind you where you come from. It's much better where you are. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes, and Lakshmi very, very rightfully said, sometimes we miss being in a refugee camp. It wasn't terrible. So what type of statement? I mean, did you see the power in that statement? We are in the United States. Everybody wanted to be in the, one of the richest and the wealthiest country, but the children who are growing up in the United States say, I'm missing a refugee camp. So that is a powerful state in itself. Just we have to sit down and analyze. They are going through a hell of a time. 
growing up in the United States. So it's not easy here. And if you are a minority, if you are people of color, if you have an accent, I mean, how many <laughs> minuses you can have and be able to function as a normal person. So these minuses in people's life, you know, you can understand from your own story, right? So right. these minuses is the killing thing to our youths. Like I'm, I'm brown, I have an accent, I'm an immigrant and so on and so forth. I wanted to add, because in our previous conversation, um, going to, thank you for sharing that, Sebastian. That's, that, that trauma piece, it, we don't think about it. We think about trauma in so many other ways, but coming you know, into a refugee camp and then having to travel to America and go through all the things that you have to, to deal with to um, be part of the community, I, I, I can't imagine how that trauma manifests itself. But uh, Lazmi, in our previous conversation, you talked about uh, the culture piece. You went to, when, when folks came over, they didn't necessarily know where they were going, right? They didn't know what city they might be going to. And you went to Tucson and there wasn't a, a huge, um, uh, there wasn't a community. It was a very small community there. And there were some cultural uh, challenges that you said you were, you know, uh, uh, working through. And I'm, I'm curious, I was speaking with another uh, group that works with uh, Im immigrants or new Americans, and they were talking about as they were getting settled into the U.S. and coming with their own culture. Uh, they were talking specifically about the young people who were, you know, uh, getting more ingrained in the American culture and were bring they were bringing that home and there was conflict in the house about when you come into our house, you speak our language, you, you keep our customs, you keep our culture, the American culture, the way that you're experiencing it, it doesn't necessarily come into the house. And there was some conflict between some of the older folks, parents, grandparents, and some of the younger uh, folks, uh, young kids who were maybe picking up on English a little bit faster, who were translating a little bit better, and maybe um, experiencing American culture, either through music, through their friends, because they're meeting at school, TV. And, but there was this cultural conflict that I was hearing with some other communities that were facing. Do you find your family's facing that as well as they're interacting, you know, bringing American, you know, clashing of cultures, is that happening in, in your spaces? Uh, I think I remember talking with you, first of all, about the, you know, some of the misconception that the American people have when refugee, uh, you know, in the refugee process. So a lot of people think like, you know, we already know, like, you know, where we'll be at when we uh, were in refugee camp or uh, they don't know that we went through a vigorous process of like, you know, health screening, background check. And also we only get information like a week or a few days uh, ago, like where we'll be at. In, in the United States. So for my family, like we didn't knew until uh, three days ago, like we'll be at Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I used to pronounce as Tucson because that's what I thought, like T-U-C-S-O-N, you know? Um, so when I when I came to Tucson and started studying at Catalina, that's that's when I realized it's called Tucson. So, and also the whole, the process of coming itself is also very difficult, like the airport process, you know, like where do you go in airport to find uh, and where, where is the tree? Every, Every detail was really hard for us to come uh, to the United States. So once I came here, I started my schooling uh, 
with the in uh, high school. So um, and I and I faced you know some of the uh, bias and some of the stereotype from from other students. Uh, they thought like you know I was from Arab and I was uh, from Middle East and they they sometimes called me terrorist and things like that. And and uh, but still like you know having that uh, fighting spirit and I, and my accent was very heavy, very thick at that time. Um, so it was really hard for me to communicate with teachers or even with the uh, fellow students there, you know. Um, so, but but that spirit of uh, fighting spirit, you know, I, I kept going and uh, despite the biases on all that. Um, and to answer your question, like, you know, whether there is a cultural between our parents. Yes, of course, because even back in home, we, you know, our parents and we have like, because every generation have different way of thinking, you know, I mean, I think it's very normal and like, uh, but when you come to United States, I mean, we, we will, the young people will catch up some, some other things from, from, you know, from American culture too. And which is, I think, okay, if, as long as it's good, it, it's, it's a out of respect and like, you know, helping or anything like, you know, that, that doesn't harm other people. I think it's completely fine. So, um, so I, I think like, you know, a lot of people like wearing a dresses or like, you know, or like uh, music uh, that, that kids watch, you know, and then also the, our parents are much more conservative, you know, they, they don't want to like, they want in a specific way. So there could be a little bit class on the, on the cultural side, but, um, but you know, I, I, as long as you communicate and you, you work hard on it, I think that that can be solved. But most importantly, the challenges our youth are facing is because of the not understanding the, the system that, you know, and the parents not understanding the system um, that, that creates a whole, because if you look at it, like, you know, um, so even for to apply for food stamp, if you don't know English, uh, you have to go through a process prompt, right? You dial this and how can you dial if you don't even know the language? Do you, yes, they provide the interpreter, but it's hard to get to that, uh, you know, to press the button and get up to the inter interpreter too. So the system is made more for the uh, folks who speaks English, I think. Um, than the uh, than more directed towards refugee and immigrants. So, I think we need a change on that. Um, on that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I was just curious about kind of how that that uh, that you know uh, worked with within the family, the family structure. And I know a lot of the, you do a lot of work around health and wellness as well. So a lot of information. Um, for families around their their health or their, their children's health, mental health, things of that nature. How did you operate during COVID? How were you able to communicate with families and whether it be through a va the vaccine or the, the lockdown or all masking? How do you have those conversations, especially for folks coming into uh, the country around that, around that time? Yeah, um, so we, we are very much focused on health and wellness. Uh, although we say we are a post-resettlement, but our programs are geared towards addressing mental illness in the community, uh, bringing awareness about health and wellness for sure. And so uh, as a matter of fact, this Saturday, we have our annual health and wellness fair at uh, our location. So many providers, healthcare agencies and stakeholders are coming to host, you know, coming to attend that event. And we invite community members to, you know, provide them an opportunity to really walk through uh, that event. It's educational, it's outreach, it's also an opportunity to 
greet and meet your own friends and families. Going back to the COVID time, um, we were really scared when that COVID thing happened. Um, and also at the same time, it was very hard for our parents to understand the impact of the COVID. In the beginning, when, when we were asking parents to keep a social distancing and whatnot, they just laughed at us. They say, you know, we survived in refugee camp. We survived malaria, dysentery, these, that, tens of other, you know, diseases. You think we would just die because of this flu? And, uh, and then we had a very hard time explaining to them what it is. And so actually we decided, okay, we have to do it because um, sort of the younger generation is taking a lead in the United States um, for better or worse. And so we, we said, okay, we have to step up. Um, I know our parents are not understanding the gravity of the situation, but we should be ready on our end. So with that in mind, very early on in March 2020, we started a BRAVE project, so which stands for a British Volunteer Assistance Project. Um, and so the idea of the BRAVE project was to educate our community members and provide the right information to them about what COVID is and how to stay safe. So we started with inviting um, Nepali speaking physicians. So we had a good uh, relationship with uh, a couple of physicians, Dr. Paudel and Dr. Sanju. They practice down in Chilikasi and they were happy enough to you know, support us with that outreach. And we started from there, meaning we would invite them or do, do a Zoom live and then talk about what this virus is. And we continuously update the community members as the virus was changing. Because the, if you remember the definition of what it is and how it is impacting was very vague and very ambiguous. So constantly we were updating people about the virus. And eventually we realized that it's not just about updating them with the information. We have to help them when they uh, fall sick to it. And then we started providing uh, care packages um, like PP, you know, hand sanitizers, masks, gloves, and Tylenol, and those kind of things. We got help from community members and businesses and whatnot, um, including Amazon um, and Care Shows. They drop a, a good amount of you know uh, those care packages, and we were able to distribute. And even we were uh, we distributed food to the families who are quarantining, like grocery for 14 days for a family. We were able to reach out to 611 families during that COVID time with groceries, food, PPEs. Uh, even we provide transportation to some of the families during that time. And so we continue that trend. And when the vaccination was um, uh, ready to be, you know, uh, uh, we, we work with uh, healthcare providers and agencies to host clinic at the community center. We host um, 10, 12 weeks of uh, a vaccination program at BCCO. And uh, we had like ambassador in the community going out talking about the safety of the vaccine. Uh, and generally, when it comes to vaccine, we are not uh, very opposed to it where we come from. We accept vaccine as a part of medicine as well, uh, respected in our community in South Asia generally. So people weren't that hesitant and we took advantage of that one. And um, I think it's not formally study, but uh, Franklin County Public Health said that in Bhutanese community, the vaccination rate could be above 81%, 80% and above. So a good number of people um, got vaccination. But here's the sad part of the story, Adreo, that I wanted to tell. 
And this story relates to all minorities and people of color, which is proportionately speaking, we have a larger number of deaths compared to the national average. So in Columbus, Ohio, even if we say we have around 30,000 people, we count over 12 deaths during that time, 12 deaths. That puts us out of 30,000, that puts us above the national average, that puts way above the white uh, majority populations, that even puts us above other communities, minority communities. And, and, and why that happened was in the beginning, in March and April, we realized that at the time, there was no medications, and there was no treatment, there was no nothing. What was the solution to the COVID was information. If you didn't have access to the right information, you are going to have a bigger casualty. And that's what happened because LEP community, limited English proficiency and everything to know and to be stay safe was that piece of language that you need to know. And so although we suffer a bigger casualty, but we did well during the COVID time, the community came together, we were sticking together and helping each other. Many community members volunteers to, you know, drop off those foods and groceries. Even some of them volunteer, took a risks to drop people at the hospital. So, so we had like that resilient, that fighting spirit that either we are together or we don't exist. And that comes from being in a refugee camp. That comes from fleeing a country. That comes from, you know, it comes from escaping a prosecution, state prosecutions, that only by sticking together will survive. And that mentality has actually saved us, make us strong, and we are striving to some extent. We know we do have struggles now, but to a great extent, we are, we are a thriving community. Thanks for sharing that. I was just, you know, curious how you were able to, I know the communication piece, and get, it's really about knowledge getting that information out there. I appreciate you sharing that, um, that context. You know, as nonprofits, you know, we're both nonprofits and a, a, a big part of our work is making sure that we're collaboration, collaborating, excuse me, with as many individuals and organizations and building strong partnerships. I'm curious how BCCO builds partnerships or more specifically, what are some of the partnerships that you have developed in order to be able to facilitate your work and your outreach with youth and families? Yes, um, that is also a very unique approach that we developed at BCCO. Although there was an environment in central Ohio, um, sort of, you know, building that network. But um, I'll take you back to 2016. In 2016, I was hired as an executive director. We were a three staff, small organization, but every single day we, people would walk in, we were allowing walk-in, even walk-ins are allowed today because of the culturally accepted ways of serving. People are walking like 50, 60 individuals in a day and there are three staff. And people, the needs were all over the map. They need employment, they need housing, they needed hospital, school, and you, you, you name it, this is a new population. They need all kinds of helps. And, uh, and then I realized, okay, this is not possible with three staff to address 50 individuals walking in through this door every single day. We can't, you know, and even if we wanted to be very brief. So I looked for a, a solution at the time and, and reach out to some of my friends and fellows. And one of the solution was to build partnership. And quickly, the first few months or 
for six months, what I did is I went to each of these organizations, especially refugee immigrant serving organization, and asked them what type of services you do, what you are good at. Tell me, we have these families, they need support. I cannot wait two years to build this organization and have 10 or 20 staff. We need to provide services right now. And people are suffering. And then they were very happy enough to share with me at the time. And, you know, let's say Jewish family services, they said, we are good at employment. And I said, okay, good. We will refer clients who need employment to you. Chris, they say, we are, you know, Chris and us, uh, Chris and Jewish family services employment. Then we begin to refer clients to these two agencies. There are other agencies, they say, we are good at maybe um, providing uh, other kind of services, maybe working with the youth, ETSS. Okay. Anyone who comes with the youth question, we uh, refer them to ETSS, Asari of Hope, and then us together, all immigrant serving communities. I created that network. And what we do is in a given day, so if 50 people show up, we could refer like maybe 20, 25 or 30 people to these different agencies and then be able to serve only 15 that we could serve with our capacity. So we became more like a resource center, a gateway into the community and outside the community. And that idea that model actually helped us survive, help us do a better job in the community, and also require lesser amount of resources and human resource to be able to work with a larger population. And still, we we still carry that model. Actually, I'm advocating for many other agencies not to delve into 10 different you know, uh, services. You focus on one, other will focus on the other. And it has two advantages. One, will not compete with each other on funding. Second, um, we build that network, that partnership is stronger. Uh, well, some of the bigger agencies may not agree with me, but I see that as an advantage and we have been using that. And then they see that as an advantage because they get clients and we refer them. And I continue want to build this network um, of providing, you know, uh, partners. And, and now it has grown to beyond just, um, you know, five organizations that have grown to like, um, many organizations that we work on different fronts and uh, a good number of our clients, we refer to them. And when we refer, the good thing that we have come up is we don't refer them completely. What we do is, okay, if somebody comes here, let's say, not a good example, bad, you know, it's a sad example. Let's say there's a domestic violence situation in a family. Generally, we refer them to, let's say, Asari of Hope or us together. But it's not that we are closing the file. We say, go get a help. But if you need come back, you would continue to be our clients because we are cultural brokers. We understand culture and language. But for this special help, you go there. But if you have anything else, and if you feel like coming back, you should come back. So we don't discharge clients, actually. We don't. We continue to serve them um, because the, the unique need and then the uh, language and cultural barriers that they have do not allow us to discharge them and they continue to be our clients as long as they need services. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the model that's working for us and for our community. Okay, okay. Lajmi, did you have something to add as well? I thought you were trying to jump in there. Sure, I mean, uh, Sudarshan, Deb explained very well. Uh, we still use that uh, model, you know, I, I still like when the clients come to me and if they are, if there's something related to job, then I refer. Um, but 
like Sudarshan said, we never leave our client. We serve them, you know, um, whatever they help, they need help with because BCCO is like a second home to them. Um, and no matter what, you know, they always come to the center and they could reach out to us because they feel comfortable. They feel, you know, they can share their story. They feel like they'll be heard through BCCO. So I feel like, you know, that's even though, yes, other, there could be a bigger organization which could provide much more resources, but still they feel like, you know, we are the one, uh, their first contact because they feel that common ground. They feel like family, they feel, you know, connected and, 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 and home. So um, that's, yeah, thank you. Adding to what Lakshmi said, Adrio, I think what will explain clearly is we are more of consulting for our community as an agency. So if they have any issue, they would first want it to stop here and ask and consult and then go to the other agency. Now, if we provide that services, that's perfectly fine. But if we don't, people feel like I have a agency where I can, this is my agency, I can consult this issue. How should I proceed? So in that regard, people do step, as I said earlier, we are a gateway into the community and outside the community. And that's our role. Well, that's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that information. Uh, I, I feel like I'm learning so much. Uh, I'm just learning like a ton of stuff today. So, I'm, and I'm sure that our listeners they're gonna learn uh, quite a bit from you as well. I see that we're coming up on our time, but I want to give you an opportunity to you both share. You know, any takeaways that you know folks who want to get involved with the organization or to learn more, volunteer, or to uh, uh, help with resources for your organization. What are, what are a couple of takeaways folks can uh, latch on to as we wrap up our conversation? No, definitely. We, we rely on our community partners, stakeholders and larger community. Um, and, and Columbus has been a welcoming in many ways. Um, Sometimes, you know, um, and that help has uh, been growing. And in the last uh, couple of years, we have non-Bhutanese member coming and helping us. We have done some amazing projects, small, bigger, and whatnot. And so we continue to welcome that spirit of, you know, um, friendship and, 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 and building community. So few things that we can do with folks who wanted to volunteer with BCCO is definitely reach out to us what interests you. Um, and, and then we can see around where you fit generally. But also, if you wanted to do, if you have some specific project that you think that you wanted to do with our community, let us know. We are more than happy to sit down with you and, and create a program itself. Uh, we, are, we are a small organization, so, you know, we're just five staff. So sometimes it's a stretch for us to even manage a volunteer group. And if somebody wants to be a volunteer coordinator, let's start from there. It would be an amazing thing. And there are many requests who wanted to do volunteers at BCCO and uh, in the, uh, we host students at Ohio State University and other schools and we, we host high school students for their internship and other program. But there are um, things like, you know, community gardening, um, engaging with elders, um, some projects for youths. Now, as we are um, opening up after the COVID, again, we wanted to get back into soccer and volleyball and you know, crickets and other those kind of game. If anyone is interested to help us, we need a soccer field uh, for our community and uh, a cricket field definitely in central Ohio where we can safely play, not a small tiny space at the corner of someone's um, backyard. 
uh, and definitely a space to play volleyball and things like that. We wanted to engage our youth. Youth is our future. Youth is our backbone. But sadly, some of the youths have been misdirected. They, 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 they are self-medicating. And it's very, very sad. Um, and knowing that you know, these things are happening, they are living under tremendous amount of pressure and trauma, we need help for, for our youth to, to exercise, you know, to, to live a healthy, prosperous, and, and hopeful life. Um, for me, I just want to thank you, City of Columbus, for inviting us and um, giving us this opportunity to uh, share our, our story and about BCCO. Um, I, I just want to say, you know, before before uh, we conclude, um, that BCCO helps, you know, a lot of immigrants and refugees, primarily focusing on uh, Bhutanese community. And if you guys have, you know, any good feedbacks, please feel free to uh, provide us that feedback. If you want to, if there's any way you feel like you can be supported, uh, you can help us or you can support us, please, you know, there, there is a form you can fill out or also there is on, the, on our website, um, there is a donation you can make. Um, there are, you know, other resources you can, if you want to learn about us, about what we do we, on our website, there's pretty much everything there. Um, and uh, we are grateful, uh, BCCO and I, I and my family and we all Bhutanese are grateful to be in the United States. And, you know, um, basically, if you have any cultural related questions, when you, when you think of uh, refugees and immigrants, if you have anything, you know, in, in your mind that you want to learn, uh, rather than just jumping into a conclusion, please let us know. Feel free to call us, you know, and we'll be more than happy to sit down with you, talk with you, share our culture, share our food, and um, because we are also uh, new Americans. So thank you. Well, thank you for sharing those last uh, words of wisdom from the Bhutanese community of Central Ohio. If you want to learn more about the organization, go to their website, Google it. Uh, you can ask uh, Sudarshan or Lakshmi any questions. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Now, this episode is going to be streamed on our Facebook page, our, fa our YouTube page, and also on Spotify and Buzzsprout. So be on the lookout for that here in the near future. So once again, thank you for joining us on our City of Columbus Red Jacket Roundtable. I'm sure we'll get an opportunity to partner sometime in the future, uh, see each other in person, and you know, hopefully you know, make some different connections uh, based on the work that you're doing and the work that we're doing. So I look forward to that in the future. So thank you once again for all your time today. This has been a great conversation and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Adriel. And thank you to the City Year Columbus and good luck to all the great program that we are doing and outreaching into the community and giving us this opportunity to share and share our story. It's a, it's a relieving, it, it's help us, you know, um, yeah. heal and grow. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Take care. See you soon. Take care.